I want to invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 22. Um, you'll, uh, you'll find if, if you don't have a Bible, there'll be someone to pass uh, one out right now. And they'll, uh, so if you, if you would like a Bible, please raise your hand. Um, if you didn't bring one or if you forgot yours uh, or if you just don't own one, please take this. This is our gift to you. Um, if you get a yellow Bible, we'll be on page 14. Um, if you get a blue Bible, we'll be on page 11. So uh, I don't want you to, to wander around in, in something foreign. Instead, uh, if, you, if you get access to that, uh, page 14 in the yellow book and page 11 in, in the blue one. And so I want to uh, invite you to join me there. And as you're turning there, I kind of want to give you maybe a, maybe a recap and maybe an introduction. My name is Jonathan. Uh, some of you don't know me yet. And, uh, and I hope that you'll, you'll take the time to, to remedy that if you get the opportunity. And I want to just express my gratitude to you. Uh, as a church, and thank you, uh, thank Connection Church, thank your pastors uh, for the things you've done for me. Um, and I want to thank you guys for just, just letting my wife and I and my family kind of jump right in and be a part of what God is doing here already. And uh, I know that I've spoken to some of you, and, and many of you have shared, uh, uh, you've kind of opened up and, and shared that God has brought you to Connection Church, and, and God is doing something special through Connection Church in spite of maybe some past where, where you have some scars or, or baggage that you've brought from maybe a previous church experience and some things that you've brought to Connection Church and you've found Connection Church to be an awesome place for God to heal you. And I want to tell you two things. First is I, I love you and thank you that, that God is doing that. And I want to pastor you through that. But the second thing I want to say is I want to join you in that. Um, and I want to thank you for, for letting us be a part of what God is doing because I know that God has even now begun to restore my wife and I, restore our faith and, and restore our souls, as the psalmist says, just by being a part of what God is doing here at Connection Church. And so continue to pray for us as we look to, to plant. Uh, I want to just uh, ask you possibly, though, just, just show mercy on us. We're going East River. I don't know a whole lot about Spearfish yet. But like even the weatherman last night was knocking on East River, right? So I catch this, all right? I'm a little slow on the uptake, but I'm getting that. I get this animosity you guys show. So just, just maybe hang on to that and, and, and store it up for someone else. I'm not those people. So I mean, even, even the weatherman was, oh, those people in the East, boy, I bet they're having fun of their bad weather. He literally was taunting the people for their colder weather. So, so please, just... Save some of that animosity. Don't, uh, don't send it my way. Save it for, uh, for someone else. Okay? We, we want to love people in the East River. We want to see people in the East River of all places come to Christ. So, so we want him to be glorified there. So help and pray for us as, as we do that. So uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, we're going to be looking at a story. We're going to try to pick up where we've been going uh, for the last few weeks that Pastor Doug has been taking us uh, through a kind of faith that God has called you and I to have. The kind of faith that the outside world thinks is crazy. The kind of faith that when they look at us and see what we believe and see how it affects our lives, they have no other explanation but to say that we're crazy. And my big idea, what I hope you'll seen, you've seen already through what we've prayed about and what we've worshipped through, the big idea I want to share with you that I think we find in Genesis chapter 22 is that God desires our sacrificial obedience because He has displayed His love extravagantly to us. And that's the big idea. That's what we've been worshiping about. That's what we've been singing about. I don't know if you heard the words that are, that are coming out of your mouth, but, but we're going to dig into what that looks like in, in the Old Testament to really believe, I surrender all. 
And so I want you to join me in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, we'll pick up there. And we're going to, to look at this journey of faith that God has been carrying Abraham through. Uh, he's already given up his home to, to, be, uh, to receive a blessing, a home that he can't see yet, but a promise that he believes will be fulfilled by God. And he's already seen amazing things happen. He's an old man. Uh, the Bible says that he and his wife were basically beyond their productive years. There are no way they're going to ever have children. And so they're much beyond childbearing age. And yet they have seen God fulfill the promise that through his offspring, through their offspring, they would be blessed. And that blessing that God would give them through their offspring would be so great that it would bless every single family on the earth. And so we've already seen Abraham come through an amazing uh, kind of string of events. And he is now the, the aged, old, elderly father of a young boy. He's seen God work. And then we find God showing him an amazing thing through a test. And I think there's some very clear lessons that you and I can learn from this test that God gives to Abraham, and we can kind of, I think, draw them very clearly into our own lives. So let's begin reading in, in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22. And after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your son. Your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now I want to stop for just a minute as we kind of pace through this text and, and maybe draw some some clear analogies that I think we find. Uh, I hope you see that right off the bat, God is calling Abraham to do something that on the face of it, from the outside looking in, if you've got a bracelet, you've got the words, it looks crazy. Right off the bat, God is demanding something of his servant Abraham that from the outside looking in looks crazy. But there are some things we can learn, and I think that God means for us to hear through this story. And the first one simply is God tested Abraham. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know where you're coming from this week. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what your journey has been. I don't know what you believe about God, and I don't know what you know about who God is and what the Bible has to tell us. But here's one thing that's for certain. There are tests that you and I face. And if you're sitting here and you aren't nodding and, oh, yes, of course, then here's, here's my warning to you. Your tests are coming. But they're not for nothing. They're not for nothing. God means to accomplish something for his glory through those tests. And there's some lessons that you and I can draw specifically. And it's first, the first part of this test, Abraham hears from God that he has to do something with his son. And the first thing I want you to realize right off the bat as we're digging through this lesson that we learned from Abraham is that God has something to say about what you and I do with children. A very clear test that... God has something to say about what Abraham ought to do with his son. And my word to you is that God has something to say about what you and I do with children, children that are around us. Whether you're a parent or not, God has something to say about what you do with children. 
And God means, and of course we're going to have to dig through this, God wants Abraham to offer up his son to God. And my word to you, if we draw it directly into our own life, is that God wants you and I to offer up children to him. God wants you and I to offer up children to him. Now, at this point in the story, you're probably like, I don't like the way that sounds. You mean God wants us to sacrifice children? No, I'm not saying that. Absolutely not. If God calls you to do that, great, you're still going to go to jail. And the rest of the world is going to think you're crazy, including me. But God means for you and I to offer up our children to him. Here's the good news, okay? On this side of you and on this side of you, there are theaters full of children, okay? There are nursery and kids connection. I didn't even know this was, I don't even know Donna was going to share. We're going to have this video, but it's a beautiful illustration of this. Here's the good news. There is no babysitting going on on this side or this side, okay? We are not babysitting your kids. There's no babysitting going on. There are people offering up our children to the Lord, offering up children in prayer, offering children up to the Lord to know him more, to seek his face. They're going to sing songs about him. They're going to play games and enjoy what it means to know the Lord. And these people on either side of us, the good news is they're offering our children up to the Lord. They're not just babysitting them because we take this seriously. We really believe that God has something to say about what you and I do with children. And nowhere is this more powerfully demonstrated than in the life of Jesus. Some of you will remember the story. Jesus was teaching and some children wander up. And some people are tempted to think that this thing about God is for adults, including his disciples. They, they begin to think, well, this thing that Jesus is offering for you and for me is for grownups. It's for mature people. And Jesus rebukes them in a way that is uncharacteristic of what you and I typically see Jesus doing. And he says, absolutely not. He says, do not hinder these children from coming to me. Instead, get them closer to me. Lead these children to me. Do you hear it? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He wants you and I to offer children up to the Lord. He says, bring the children to me. And before you think that the kingdom of God and my teachings and the work of God is just for adults, Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to these. So much so that if you want to know the kingdom of God, you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like one of these children. You see it? God cares. God has something to say about what you and I do with children. And if that isn't enough, Jesus does and says something that's fairly uncharacteristic of him. We think Jesus is a really nice guy, a peaceful man. He's a nice guy. He's a sweetheart. And what does he do? What does he add to that command about children? He said, if any one of you causes one of these children to stumble into sin, sweet Jesus, nice guy Jesus, lays down the only threat that we hear him say. If any one of you causes these children to stumble into sin, it would be better if you had a stone tied around your neck and you were thrown into the ocean. I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty heavy words from this sweet Jesus that we typically see pictures of. And the only time that Jesus goes on the offensive and lays down threats is when? It has to do with children. You see, God cares and has something to say about what you and I do with children. He cares very deeply. 
And so in the same way that God has something to say about what Abraham ought to do with his son, God has something for you and I to learn about what we ought to do with children. But also, if you continue on, the the story, the plot gets stranger. He says you should offer up as a burnt offering this child. And God, in a way that only God can do, is very specific with Abraham. Look at the way he kind of repeats who he's talking to in verse 2. He says, Abraham, take your son. And you can imagine Abraham going, well, at this point, I have two sons. What do you mean, take my son? You mean Ishmael or you mean Isaac? And God says, no, 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 take the one you love. As if to kind of hint at Abraham's favoritism toward the child of promise, born from him and Sarah. And he could probably say to God, well, I love both of my sons. Which one do you mean? And God adds repetition. He says, not only take your son, not just the one you love, take Isaac. Take him and offer him up. And this is the point where we think probably Abraham's crazy if he really does it. But listen what he does in verse 3. There's a, there's a phrase that I want to teach you to always notice whenever you're in the scripture. There's a phrase I want you to always notice. In verse 3 it says, so Abraham rose early. It says he got up early. Now this is only the second time in all of scripture that this phrase is found. But you'll see this phrase throughout You'll see it in some strange places. And all I want you to remember is that whenever you see they arose early, perk up your ears because God's about to do something amazing. God is about to do something amazing. Now, now you're thinking, well, what does that got to do with me? Well, here's, here's the way I would illustrate this, okay? When you were a child, go back to when you, you believed in innocent things and pure things. When you were a child, did you ever have to set an alarm on Christmas morning? Right? Did you ever have to set an alarm? Now, I'm going to be careful with my words here, um, but is it possible even that you got up so early that you got up before Santa came? Right? Did you ever beat, you ever run in the living room and beat Santa to it? Right? Yeah, because of course we don't have to set an alarm for Christmas morning. Of course your children know what's going on. And the anticipation, the excitement for what's going to happen that day is so great they can't sleep in. What an amazing picture painted for the way you and I ought to look as we run after God to obey him and to seek his face. Imagine anticipating what God is doing so much that you just can't sleep in. Here's, here's, here's maybe the test of that for this morning. Any of you hit the snooze button this morning? I would ask for a raise of hands, man. Where, what's church, man? Shh, don't tell anybody. Right? Anybody kind of, mm, you know, you, know, you kind of maybe drag in this morning? What would it look like if you and I believed that God's promise was so sure, that we were so excited about what God was going to do that we couldn't sleep in? What if we were so excited about what God was going to do that we actually went to bed early anticipating what was going to happen? You'll see these words throughout Scripture, and they're in anticipation of what God's going to do. The greatest of which, of course, is those lovely women who woke up on Easter morning. And what does the Bible tell us in the Gospel of Luke that they did? They got up early to go to the tomb. 
anticipating what God was going to do. Not only is what God is asking Abraham to do look crazy, but not only does Abraham want to be obedient, he's actually excited about being obedient. And now you begin to realize just exactly how crazy this faith looks. He gets up early. He's excited about what God's going to do. He rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and come again to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And then they both, both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And his son said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. Stop for just a minute and feel the weight of what God is asking Abraham to do. Now, I don't know what you looked like when you were young, but whenever I did anything with my dad, whether it's working on the car or fixing stuff, I bombarded him with questions. And you have to imagine, we don't know how old Isaac is, but we have to imagine, given one question that, that is recorded here, he probably for three days journey, remember three days, they're walking up. How many questions do you think Isaac pounded Abraham with, making the burden of what God was calling him to do even that much greater. Hey, Daddy, hey, Daddy, what are we doing? What are we doing, Daddy? Where are we going? We're going over there. Where, Daddy, where? To the place where God is going to show us. Where's that? Where's that, Daddy? Where are we going? We're going over there. We're going to offer a sacrifice, Daddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see the wood. I see the wood. I see the fire. You got your flint. You got the way to start, start the fire? Great, great. Where's the lamb, Daddy? Where's the lamb? God will provide. God will provide. Can you see how crazy this story gets? Can you see what this kind of faith looks like to the outside world? And can you begin to imagine how heavy this must weigh on Abraham? And yet here he is, taking his prized possession. God had asked for his prized possession. In verse 9, when they came up to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood all in order. And then he bound Isaac, his son. And then he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And in verse 10, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Now, this is the point in the story in which my storytelling limits are reached. This is the place in the story where my ability to paint a picture for what's happening reaches its limits. And so I want to pause here for just a minute as we reflect on what God has called him to do. God has called him to give up his prized possession. God has called him to put his promise at risk. 
And I want to share with you some, some people who were so deeply moved by this story that they wanted to creatively express what it looked like. And so I've got some pictures centuries old for some people that, that saw what God was calling Abraham to do and it disturbed them and scared them so much that they began to paint it. Some of them you'll know and some of them you'll have seen before. And so I want to show you a couple of those. This one's about six centuries old. And the picture is painted of, of Abraham with a knife in his hand. If you look, he blindfolded his son. Can you, can you picture that? Can you picture blindfolding the son? Probably to, so that he wouldn't have to look his beloved son in the eye. Because what he was doing was so absurd. He couldn't dare to see it. Let me bring up the next one. This is a Tizian. You can see the... the Look at, look at the way this, this artist portrayed what, what Abraham must have had to do to do what he was. He has a sword kind of emphasizing the violence that he's about to inflict on his beloved son. And look at the way he's holding his head away. He's holding Isaac's head away from him as if to just, please don't, don't let me see this, God. Don't let me look this beautiful, lovely child in the eye. You can go on. This is, a, this is a Caravaggio. It's probably one of my favorite. This, this story moved Caravaggio so much that he actually painted it twice over the course of a decade. And you can see, look, look. I don't know if you can tell, but he's got his son by the hair. That's crazy. This son that he loved, he grabs him by the hair, ready to, to slit his son's throat. Caravaggio painted it again. You'll see in the next one. If you look at Isaac's face, Caravaggio struggled with this thought that God would call someone to do something so absurd. You can see the, the torture that seems to be on Isaac's face, and, and you can see just this, this grit involved. He's, he's, it's as if he's holding down a struggling child. That's crazy, man. I can't even imagine that. And the last one's the Rembrandt. And you see... What this crazy obedience must look like as he holds his son's face, covers it, ready to slaughter him. And if you're like me, you know, why? Why would God ask someone to do something like that? Why would a loving, caring God want a man to do something like that? Why would a loving, caring God go after his special child's prized possession. Why would he do that? And the only way I can explain it to you is to say that God desires our sacrificial obedience because he has loved us absurdly, extravagantly, crazily even. So much that God wants all of you. And he is ruthlessly after your heart. God is ruthlessly pursuing you, and he wants your soul for himself. He wants your heart, and he does not want to share you with anyone, even to the extent that he did not want to share Abraham's heart with Abraham's son. He desired Abraham's affections to be greater for himself than for his son. And so we tested you see, throughout the Old Testament, the picture of God as he delivers his people, the pictures uh, uh, that God paints of himself, that he sends his prophets to tell. Uh, you see, even in the beginning, Moses tells us that, that God told him to share with the people, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. 
Now, that's an important word to think about. There's a difference between jealous and envy. We often get them confused, and I use them often interchangeably, but they're not. Envy, you see, is more like covetousness. Envy is wanting something you do not possess, right? You have nice houses. Some of you have nice cars. I envy you, right? I don't possess them, but I wish I did, right? But jealousy is different. Jealousy is the protective instinct for something you do, you already possess, And God is a jealous God. And by Jesus Christ and the price that he has paid, he wants you for his own. And he wants to hold you as his own. And he does not want to share you with anyone. I'm a jealous husband, right? I love what God has given me. I love my wife. She's my favorite thing in the whole world. But here's the thing. I don't want to share with you. I mean, I want you to like her. I want you to love her as much as I do. But in the end, you and I know she's mine. And I jealously want to possess her. I want her to be mine. And I don't want anything to be in between us. I want her heart to be for me. I want her to desire and love me. And I want to do anything I can so that nothing comes between us. And I want her heart for myself. And as you see that, you you just see even the faintest bit Of how much infinitely greater God desires your heart and mine. So much so that he wants your prized possession. Because he doesn't want anything to get in the way of you and him. He wants your prized possession. He doesn't want that thing to get in between you and him. You see this especially in Jesus. Jesus did this ruthlessly, right? Jesus like went right after the uncomfortable subject. So people would come up to Jesus and they would have this thing in their hand, right? This secret sin or this, this thing that they didn't want to let go of, right? And Jesus, being the nice guy that he is, did what? Went right after that thing, and so there's a story of a rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, you're, you're cool. I like you. I want to follow you. And what does Jesus do? He goes right after the thing that he was holding on to. He went right for his soul. He was ruthlessly after his heart. And he said, you know what? If you want to follow me, take all your wealth. Get rid of it. Liquidate all your assets. Sell everything. And take all of that and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. Went right after it. And what does that rich young ruler do? He walked away. Because in the end, he loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. And you would think that's a merciless thing for Jesus to do. Why would Jesus so rudely do that? Why would he go right after that thing? Why would he do that? Because Jesus is after your soul, my friend. He's after your heart. And he wants it all to himself. And he would rather have your heart for eternity than for you to have your prized possession temporally. And he was right after our hearts. He met a woman at the well, and there was a woman who had some secret sin in her life. And Jesus went right after that awkward thing, the thing, you know, we don't talk about and we don't say anything about, which means we just do it when no one's looking. You know those things? Jesus went right after him. This woman was shacking up with another guy. And what did Jesus do? Instead of being polite and, hey, nice to meet you. I want to build a relationship with you before I share with you the glory of God and, and, and grace and truth. No, he went right after and he said, you know what? You're right. The guy you're living with, he's not your husband. And neither were the last four guys that you were married to. And this woman went away and shared what God had showed her in Jesus and said, come and meet a man who knew everything I ever did. 
My friend, God is after you and your heart. And I don't know what you worshiped this week. I don't know what you served this week. Maybe it was a career. Some of you know this better than anything else. A, a borrower is a slave to the lender, right? So some of you are in debt. You know what it means to have to serve something else. Can I tell you whether it's your family, your job, your career, your wealth, your possession, your cars, your house, God wants you to love him more than that. And he is willing sometimes ruthlessly to rip that thing out of our hand so that our heart will be for him alone. I think that's exactly what God is doing with Abraham. I mean, he loved Abraham. And he loved Abraham enough to desire all of his heart. He loved Abraham enough to want all of him. But here's the awesome stuff. This story does not end there. Because you'll say, well, I don't understand this. Why, why would God want our prized possession? What, does God really want me to drop everything I'm doing and, and follow him? Does God really want me to let go of everything that I love? Maybe, maybe. But I want to tell you why. And I want to show you why. They came to that place that God had told them. He laid them on the altar. He laid them on the wood. And in verse 10, he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord, in verse 11, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said again, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, your prized possession from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God loved Abraham enough to want all of his heart. But here's the beautiful thing about God's love. God loved Isaac too. And he loved Isaac so much that he was willing to offer up a ram, an innocent ram caught in a thicket. And God was willing to offer up that ram so that Isaac would live. He was willing to watch this innocent ram die so that Isaac might live. Friend, I hope you begin to see the extravagant love that has been shown to you and to me. Before Abraham was willing to let go of his prized possession, God was willing to let go of his. Before Abraham had it in his heart to let go of everything that he owned, before he sacrificed everything, God did it first. And he did it with his son. And that kind of love, my friend, is crazy. This is what God did. The Bible tells us that he loved the world so much that he gave his son. That's crazy. Think of it this way. I have two little girls. Friends, I love them. Like, they're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. 
But here's the other thing. I love Connection Church. Some of you have gotten to know, I love you very much. I mean, I really do. I love you. God has blessed me with you. I love you. But if one of my daughters is in the street and you're right next to her and a truck's coming, I'm sorry, it's nice knowing you. Okay? It's not that I don't love you. I do love you. I do love you. But I just love her more. She's mine. She's my prized possession. And so if push comes to shove, I'm going to do everything I can and she's going to make it and you're not. And that's not a reflection of my hatred for you. That's a reflection of my great love for her. Now imagine the absurdity of the conversation that you and I would be having if instead of choosing my daughter, I chose you and I saved you. Imagine that conversation as we're sitting on the curb and I've just lost my daughter. How crazy would you think I am that I gave up my one loving, beautiful daughter for you? Can you even imagine the words of that kind of crazy conversation? Because, friend, that's the love that God has shown for you. That he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. We realize that this story is not really about whether or not Abraham should or should not have given up his son. This story is about whether or not you believe that God gave up his. While we were still the enemy, while we were still running from God, before we were willing to let go of our prized possession, God was willing to let go of his. And he bankrupted all of heaven for what? So that you would know how much he jealously, ferociously, tenaciously loves you. So is God calling you to let go of your prized possession? Yeah. But hear the good news. The only reason that God wants you to let go of your prized possession and love him is because he has let go of his to love you. I don't know where you've come from this morning. And I don't know where this story finds you. But if you've come to this place and you're wondering, what's this whole Jesus thing about? Maybe somebody drug you in here, right? And you're wondering, what's that guy yelling about? Why is he so excited, right? And you're just wondering what this whole thing is about. You're trying to figure out what we're doing here while we're singing these songs. It's because God has so ferociously and tenaciously loved us that he has bankrupted his prized possession in order to demonstrate that to us. So that just like Isaac... We would not be slain needlessly, but instead God has provided his one and only perfect spotless lamb of God, First Peter tells us, so that you and I might live. Here's what I think this story calls us to do. I don't think we can hear a story this crazy and not respond. So some of you have come in this room and maybe you're, you're wondering what this whole God thing is about. There's an opportunity for you. In a minute, we're going to, to pass the offering plate. And we don't want you to, to, to give financially. If you're not committed to this, this congregation, please don't, don't do that. Here's what I want you to do. There's going to be an opportunity for you to check on the handout that's in your cup. 
If this story stirs something in you, if this story brings to life something inside of you that you can't quite explain, can I tell you, that is you beginning to feel the effects of God's tenacious love in your heart. And I don't want you to leave here without wanting more. I would love and the pastors would love and several other people would love the opportunity to share with you what God's great love has done in our hearts and how it's transformed us. It's the basis by which we do crazy, crazy things. And so if you just would be brave enough to just write your name, put check off, man, I want to know more about this. I want to hear more about Jesus and drop it in the offering plate. But then for some of us, maybe you and I know this great love, right? You and I know this. We're walking in this. I want to ask you this question. What is it that you're holding on to? Is there something that you're holding on to that's keeping you from fully obeying and following Christ? Jesus is tenaciously after your heart. People would come to Jesus and they wanted to follow him. And Jesus would turn them away and he said, look, any man who puts his shoulder to the plow that is wants to follow me and looks back is not worthy to be my disciple. Any man that does not love or, excuse me, hate his own father and mother, his own family, his own children, is not worthy to be my disciple. Friend, God wants you to love his son so much that it makes, like, makes the love you have for everyone else, including your family, look like hate. He desires you that much. So for some of you, maybe you've been worshiping your career. Maybe you've been worshiping... Uh, maybe you've been worshiping your time. I don't, there, there's an opportunity coming up. There's some people going to Haiti. And maybe you're thinking, hey, my vacation time is for me. What if, just what if God wants you to let go of that and bless you more immeasurably than you can ever ask or imagine? Some of you are thinking, well, I got my job. This is where I live. This is where I'm from. This is where I'm staying. What if God is asking you to let go of that so that you might be blessed more amazingly than you can even imagine? For some of you, you'll be able to worship because as the offering plate is passed, you'll get to realize what Abraham realized. Offering things up to God is worship. And you will be, you'll be engaged in a very visible and actual response to God by offering up and letting go of prized possessions for God.